Principal Matters Podcast, episode 362. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're going to be talking about Be the Driving Force with my special return guest, Dr. Don Parker. Dr. Don Parker is a leading voice in professional development and educational transformation. And since beginning his educational journey in 1997, he has served in diverse roles from teaching in Chicago's inner city schools to mentoring future educators as an adjunct professor at National Lewis University. As a former principal at Posen School and Lincoln Avenue School, he made significant strides in areas like parent engagement, staff collaboration, and most importantly, student achievement. Known across the U.S. for his insights, Dr. Parker has presented at state and national conferences. His breadth of experience has allowed him to integrate evidence-based techniques to positively influence student behavior and learning outcomes. His book, Building Bridges, Engaging Students Through the Power of Relationships, underscores his philosophy on education success. In his newest book, Be the Driving Force, Leading Your School on the Road to Equity from Solution Tree Press is now available. Although, Don, I think it may be available for pre-order, but welcome back to Principal Matters Podcast. Why don't you fill in the the gaps on that intro and let listeners know something else they may be surprised to know about you. Thank you, Will. I appreciate it. And Will, you know, I always refer to you as my brother from another mother. I don't even feel right without, you know, starting a conversation (laughs) off saying that. Uh, I, I thank you so much for having me on your podcast. As you know, we have so much in common when it comes to school leadership. So just to fill in a gap, uh, yes, I have a lot of experience being a school teacher, department chair, dean of students, assistant principal, principal, and I recently resigned from my principal's position so I can be a full-time professional development provider and speaker for educational conferences. And I appreciate you for bringing me in at the Oklahoma uh, Schools Principals Association to be a speaker at your conference. And so uh, one thing about me is just, I just love uh, working with educators to improve their schools, culture, and climate, and working with teachers to help them build trust and relationships with students with challenging behavior and students who suffer from trauma. And my motto is bringing out the best in teachers so they can bring out the best in students. Mm, I love that. Bringing out the best in teachers so that you can bring out the best in students. Well, Don, man, we've known each other for a long time. When you when you wrote your first book, we got together all the way back and I had to look it up. It was in April of 2020. You were on episode 189 of Principal Matters Podcast when we talked about your first book, Building Bridges, Engaging Students Through the Power of Relationships, because you're such a relationship-centered leader. And then you actually were on again later for episodes 198 and 199 during the pandemic when we had a series on equity in education with you and Marlena Gross-Taylor and William Stubbs. So Listeners, if you're if you if you're listening to Dr. Parker for the first time, you you may want to go back and check out those three episodes just to get a fuller context. And man, having you in person in Oklahoma last year, Don, that was such a joy of getting to see you work with leaders from the stage. And now you've got a new book, being the driving force, leading your school on the road to equity. There's a parenthetical I noticed when I was looking up your book on Amazon, and it says principles either drive school equity or tap the brakes on it. Which kind of leader are you? So I want to start right there. I want, I just want to dive straight in and ask you, 
Can you explain why that's an important distinction in this new book? Yeah, the reason it's a um, distinction in the book is because leadership and, you know, school culture, it starts at the top. And you can be the type of leader that advances equity in your school district or the type of leader that taps the brakes on it. And this simply means this is do you really believe in the aspirations, the hopes, desires, and the promise and potential of your students, of all students, no matter if they're a student from an affluent community or from a historically marginalized group or, you know, students of color, right? Do you believe in the aspirations and potential of your students? And the reason that's important, because if you truly believe, right, you know, whatever you believe, it starts in your mind, it starts in your heart. And what you think in your mind and what you believe in your heart is going to lead to your actions or inactions. So in other words, Will, you're a runner. I'm a weightlifter. Okay. And so let's say if you asked me to go out for a long distance run with you, okay, I would try to keep up. But really with me knowing myself, I'm not a great runner. And since I believe that I've adopted that mindset that I'm not a great runner, you know, I'm more of a weightlifter. So when you ask me to go on a jog for you, it's like, because I believe that I'm not a great runner in my mind, like I'm not going to be motivated to do it. And so your, your beliefs dictates your actions, which dictates your behavior, which either leads to you being successful or unsuccessful. So if I don't believe I'm a strong runner, my actions and behavior are going to be poor. And I'm going to say, Will, you know what? Do we really have to go, you know, 10 miles? You know, can we just go two miles? And then I'm going to have a negative attitude and you're not going to enjoy your run. And that's going to be my behavior. It's going to be bad. And it's going to lead to me being unsuccessful. However, if you ask me to lift weights, since I like lifting weights and I enjoy lifting weights and I believe that I can get stronger and improve the way I look and feel because of weight training. If you ask me to lift weights, I'm going to be more inspired to lift those weights and I'm going to look forward to the workout. And my action is going to be one of enthusiasm. And my behavior is going to be one where I'm getting all my reps and all my sets in. And it's going to lead to me, you know, achieving the look and the feeling and strength that I want to. And so when it comes to uh, being an equity leader in your district, if you believe in your students and you believe in your teachers, then your actions and they're going to reflect your beliefs. And so you're going to work hard to bring out the best in your teachers and you're going to work hard yourself because you know that your efforts won't be in void because you know what results you're going to produce, right? But if you really don't believe in your ability to grow your students and your historically marginalized students or your students from low-income communities or your students of color, then when you go to work, you're not going to have the same enthusiasm. You're gonna, not going to have the same actions because you're going to feel like you're doing work uh, that's, that's not going to produce outcomes. And whenever you don't have a desired outcome, you don't put in a, the correct effort. So if you're just going to show up to work in your building every day, you're just going to be going through the motions. And a building leader or a district leader that just steps into their environment and they just go through the motions, they're going to have staff and students that just go through the motions as opposed to working hard towards equity. So that's what I mean when I say, are you a leader who drives educational equity or tap the brakes on it? So really, do you believe in the aspirations of your students and staff to reach goals and, you know, just have a transformative, healthy school culture where you believe in equity for all staff and students. I love that. 
belief in your students and teachers will be reflected in your attitudes and action. And so that, and I know you begin with, with those values, Don, and, but then you also lead throughout this book because you gave me an advanced copy. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, I also know that you unpack some very specific ways that that can be reflected in your actions. And you talk about some really important things like principles, vision, climate, equity, policies, procedures, communication, responsive learning, and even more. I'm just giving a, like an overview mm-hmm. of how many areas that you uncover in this book to give leaders some real tangible ways to connect their motivations with the actions. So um, let's stay there for just a minute. And I know you've already been here. I want to I want to connect this analogy of driving the car. And maybe you can tell the same story that you tell in the book about some of the memories you have of the first time you began driving and how that connects to the principles that you use in driving change in schools. All right. So if we talk about mindset, for instance, all right, and I'll share a story from the book. Okay. So I share a story how my mom lost her keys to the car and she asked my dad if she could get another copy, another set for the, the keys to the car. And he was like, absolutely. So he went, he got some keys cut, and he gave her the keys to the car. All right. When she got those keys to the car, she wasn't sure if they were the correct keys. So she had a hard time really putting the key in the ignition in order to get that ignition to turn for that the car to start. And so she was just frustrated because she couldn't get the key to work. And then she had to ask my dad to come out and be like, hey, are you sure that this is the correct set of keys? Because for some reason, I'm having a hard time getting these keys to work. And so he assured her, yes, these are the the keys that match this car. So it's a new key. So that means you have to probably finagle it a little bit in order to get it to work. So now with her believing that these are the correct keys, she was more intentional about doing what she needed to do in order to start the car. And so when she had to use a little bit more force to get that key, you know, before it was broken in, she used more force when she needed to. When she needed to use a little bit more finagling in order to turn that ignition, she did it. But she was able to use that key to successfully start the car. So when I talk to leaders about this, when I use this analogy, I tell leaders how it's important to believe that they have to believe that they are the correct leader in order to get that engine going at their school. And now they have to look at what they believe. And if they believe that they have what it takes in order to create the kind of environment that their staff and students need in order to succeed. And so now I say, you have to believe that you're the key to their success to unlock the potential of your students and staff. But nowadays in cars technology, you know, we don't use a traditional key to start the car. Most cars are pushed to start. So now I ask educators, you have to eliminate all self-doubt. You have to eliminate that imposter syndrome and you truly have to believe in yourself that you're the right leader for that school. And so my question to leaders is, what push do you need to start believing in yourself? And that's the analogy I use when it comes to starting a car and a believer having the importance of that self-belief to believe in themselves, to move their school on a road to equity. Mm. So what I hear you saying is that if leaders understand that they are key to the motivation, the environment, the potential, the potential for success and outcomes for students and staff, then it's not just a title, is it, Don? when we step into this work on a daily basis, talk about how that works and has worked in your own history. Cause you've worked in a lot of settings, um, mm-hmm. both as a principal, as an AP, 
um, in athletics. And so talk a little bit about how that looks like when it comes to the hard work yeah. of being with students and staff and connecting okay. that purpose to that action. So I'll use a story from my first principal job when I first became principal, a Title I school, 99% free and reduced lunch in a historically marginalized neighborhood where the students who made up the school population suffered from so much trauma and personal and social and emotional issues. And the school was at a tumultuous time because when I interviewed for, for the job, you know, I emerged as the leading candidate, I got the job. And so this was in July when the superintendent called me in. She said, I want to meet, you know, so you know everything, all the challenges that you're facing before you step into that school. And so she told me that the principal who was there previously was dismissed in February. All right. His actions were so toxic that he was creating such a negative environment that they had to release him in February. They couldn't even wait to the end of the year. Then she told me that there was a racial divide amongst the uh, staff in the building. There were divides. There were three divides. One was racially. Uh, there was racial tension in the building. Number two, the school was a K through eight building. All right, it used to be a K through five building, and then a junior high six through eight building. And so the K through uh, five building was on the first and second floor, and the six through eighth grade classes were on the third floor. She said there was a disconnect between the junior high teachers and the elementary teachers. And then she told me that there was also, you know, some age discrimination going on because they recently settled on a contract where it benefited the veteran teachers, but it was a disadvantage to the, you know, first through five-year teachers as far as the pay scale work. And so she said that there's a lot of tension in the building. And she said, I need a leader who's going to come in. And what I want you to just focus on is school culture. We need someone who can come in and improve the school culture and climate of the building. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, that's a lot to, to take on. You know, I basically have to turn the school around. And so within the second month of being in the school, this was in October, this was in September, right? The, 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 the hard part about this is that what the superintendent told me, she said, Dr. Parker, this is the most important thing that you have to be aware of out of all the problems I told you. She said, the biggest problem is that the teachers do not believe in the potential of our students. And that like really hit my heart, Will. I was like, how can we have teachers in the school that don't understand how their actions and how they're planted there and how they can actually change the trajectory of students' lives. But if they're not doing it because they don't believe in the students, then this is tragic. And so what I did, Will, is I went in there and I had, before the, the, the first day of school even started, I was having you know, pre-conference sessions with my teachers, small group meetings, you know, individual meetings, just to get a feel of the teacher's attitudes and the culture and climate. But the teachers actually wanted what was best for the school, but they didn't have the right leader, you know, who matched their desires. But I noticed that there was, you know, a lot of behavior problems in the school when I took over. So much so, the teachers, you know, they would complain about the students' misbehavior. These students, they don't understand respect, or these students are so disrespectful. And so the second staff meeting of the year, I, I brought in a Q-tip. I gave each teacher a Q-tip when they entered the classroom. And so as all they were sitting down, you know, in the meeting space, they asked, Dr. Parker, why did you give us a Q-tip? I said, because we're doing a lot of complaining about student behavior. And you guys have such a low tolerance, you know, for our students' social and emotional needs. And so I want you to know that student behavior is not about you. 
It's about a, a problem that's not being solved within a student's personal life and their home life, and we're not meeting that need in school. And as long as you continue to take it personal, then you won't step outside yourself to look to see what the solution is to support our students. So this Q-tip is a reminder to quit taking it personal. That's literally what Q-tip stands for. Quit taking it personal. All right, let's look to see how we can support our students, you know, socially and emotionally, so that we can then, you know, support them academically. Because I truly believe that before you touch the brain, you have to first touch the heart. And once we start building relationships with those students, supporting them socially, emotionally, then that will lead to student achievement. And that was a culture building mindset moment for my teachers. Such a great story. Q-tip lesson. Quit taking it personal. Bam, not right there. All right. I want to ask you a follow-up. And 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 because sometimes when I'm working with leaders, I recognize that the organizational structures that you use often reflect, or they should reflect, Don, the 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 mission, the vision, the principles that you lead with. Mm-hmm. And so so in your book, you also talk about how policies are important for the ways that leaders improve equity for students. So talk about that a little bit, because I know that's the nitty gritty sometimes of the work that principals do is sometimes our policies help us and sometimes they hinder us. But how, how can, how can we be thinking better about how our policies help reflect the principles that we, that we live by? Okay. So our principles that we live by is, you know, do you live by the principle of, um, you know, we all deserve a second chance, right? Do you live by the principles of, you know, education can be the game changer to change the outcome and the trajectory of a student's life. And so with the same story I talked about before, you know, when I was the second month into my principalship, like I said, the student behavior was so bad. It was so negative, you know, and I'm be honest with you, the, the students didn't want to be there. The teachers didn't want to be there. The parents didn't want to send their children to the school. And be honest with you, the, the, the climate was so negative, Will. I didn't, I wasn't sure that I wanted to be there. <laughs> but then I had to check myself. It goes back to what I said before. Do I believe I'm the right leader for this building? And so when a student would display negative behavior or disrespectful behavior, the teachers would want a pint of blood and a pound of flesh. All right. And so they wanted to exact these uh, policies and these procedures that would just suspend students or put them in school suspension all day. However, we was moving from a punitive mindset to restorative practices. And so what we really had to do was meet with stakeholders, meet with principals, and come up with how can we be more restorative? So, you know, yes, we have our discipline policies, but our discipline policies are hurting children because children aren't being educated on how to behave appropriately. And so when we have these different policies that are exclusionary, now we remove them from the classroom we remove them from the school and they're not learning and that's going to hurt student growth. And so it's like, we're shooting ourselves in the foot because now our students are not in the classroom learning. They're not meeting standards and now they're failing grades. And as opposed to moving students forward, we're holding them back. So if we can be more restorative in nation in, in nature and start having restorative practices. Now we can take advantage of teachable moments because my research showed me when it came to Um, The topic of my dissertation is what methods, strategies can uh, school leaders use in order to help students be successful in school and in life, right? Number one was building relationships. 
Number two was authoritative counseling, okay? But authoritative counseling, what that means is we're taking advantage of teachable moments and we're taking students down a path of inquiry where we're asking them, hey, what happened as a result of your behavior? What happened as a result of your actions? Okay, if you see yourself in this situation again, what can you do different to get a different outcome? Mm. And so now that's authoritative counseling. That's having those conversations. That's being more restorative. Okay, what do you have to do in order to, you know, uh, repair the harm that you created? Okay, what can you do to restore the relationship with your teachers? Teachers, what can you do to restore the relationship with your students? And now we're all on the same page where we want the student to learn from the mistake so that they don't make the same mistake. So restorative practice, people have a misnomer that, you know, students aren't being held accountable for their actions and that they're getting away with a, a, a huge crime. If we don't discipline them, if we don't punish them, if we don't know, if we don't let them know uh, the consequences of their actions. But really restorative practice is what it does, it solves the problem. Sometimes suspending students in exclusionary discipline does not solve the problem, but we will solve the problem if the students learn and they're educated and they learn a better way of doing things. And so that was a restorative concept that, that we had to do in order to you know, shift the mindset so we could change our discipline policies to now where we have restorative practices, which was more beneficial for our teachers and our students. Support for Principal Matters comes from DigiCoach and its walk-through tool. When Kathleen Beckham was a district director, she would walk through classrooms and see teachers engaging students in learning or observe elements missing in their instruction. And her biggest challenge was finding the time to give those teachers meaningful and helpful feedback that they would value as coaching and not correction. In the past, Kathleen spent hours in follow-up email exchanges after informal walkthroughs. But that all changed when she discovered DigiCoach. She now has a tool that can help her send immediate feedback from her phone or her tablet. DigiCoach is a fully customizable tool created by school leaders for school leaders to not only collect walkthrough data, but also ensure every teacher receives ongoing support, feedback, and coaching. It features thousands of pre-written research-based commendations and coaching tips that can be included along with your own observation comments and a follow-up email ensuring all teachers receive effective and timely support. Are you ready to make the most of your walkthroughs with a tool that saves you time and enhances meaningful feedback to your teachers? Go to digicoach.com to learn more and please tell them Principal Matters recommended you check them out. That's digicoach.com. Support for Principal Matters comes from Aptigy. More than 3,500 school districts have switched to Aptigy since 2016 for one reason. Aptigy powers the identity of your school. We all know that communication is important, but what are you communicating? If it's just information, you're missing an opportunity to build a school brand around your strengths and values. What I love about Aptigy is how they think and talk about communication as a critical component of building your brand that engages your entire school community. With the Thrill Share platform, Aptigy brings everything you need for school marketing and communications together into a single mobile app. Write a story once and send it across your school website and mobile app, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, text messages, and voice calls. By making it easy to share stories about your strengths, 
you can control the conversation around your brand. Learn more about Aptigy at aptigy.com and tell them that Principal Matters sent you. I love, let me let me speak something directly to that, Don, because I've been in this work long enough to know that um, people have different emotional responses to different kinds of words and and approaches. And so sometimes when people hear restorative practices, a phrase that might be going through their mind is, oh, you mean be easy on discipline. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be really clear because I've known you long enough and I've studied your work long enough to know that restorative doesn't mean easier. It, it, it often means harder, but with a different purpose and outcome in mind. And so, so I, I want, as an example, mm-hmm. um, I, I want to use a story that I'm familiar with that I, I didn't put in today's show notes, but I'm going to ask you because I know this is something you've talked about in some of your presentations. Um, there was a time in your school, for instance, and again, I love to give examples to the, to the, to the lessons that you're teaching, um, where you guys were dealing with some really strong um, conflicts happening within the community that were bleeding back into the school. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of practices in school, obviously safety is the most important part of that. And you could have easily just said, okay, these are the kids that now I'm removing from school so that we're safe. But you chose a different pathway, in my opinion, a harder pathway that was more restorative. And so can you talk about that, how you've learned as a leader to facilitate conversations with even students in conflict to try to reach goals that are both good for them and the school safety. 100%. And so you're right. That is a misnomer about restorative practices, but I will tell you, there are some pros and cons to restorative practice. All right. Some of the pros are, it really does help with the problem solving and it gives everyone involved in this situation a voice. But one of the cons to restorative practices is that, like you said, you know, people think it's, you know, easier on discipline, but you know, it's really not because you have to restore the relationship and restore the harm that you created. But the thing about restorative practice, one of the kinds is that it does take more time. Okay. Because yes, you real, you're right. It's easy to just issue somebody's suspension, you know, and then write up the paperwork and then that's it. However, when it comes to, you know, sit down, talk, listen, you know, hear a person out, you know, come to a agreed upon solution, that takes time. When you have to bring in parents and bring in different groups, that takes time. So what happened in this situation that you're referring to is I was getting ready for work. I normally arrive to work around 6.45 every day. The teacher's report time was eight o'clock. And so I'm getting ready for work at around six o'clock in the morning. My phone rings. I look at my phone. And I'm like, who is this? And I noticed it was one of the parents of one of my students who was one of my frequent flyers, students who needed a lot of social and emotional support. So like, it's too early in the morning for this. So I declined the call and I continued to get, to get ready for work. I said, you know, I'll just call it back when I get in the car on my way to work. But as soon as I declined it, my phone started vibrating again. And so I looked at it, it was the same parent. I said, okay, well, this must be an emergency. If somebody called me twice, I mean, I better, you know, see what's going on. So I answered the phone and then she told me, she said, Dr. Parker, I'm warning you. All right, my son is involved in this, but there's a group of boys who they're having a conflict. And they said that as soon as they see each other in school today, that they were going to fight or, you know, that they were going to get at one another. And so I said, thanks for telling me. Can you tell me like who's involved and, you know, what's going on? And so she basically told me it was some threats going over Snapchat and social media and, you know, and that they were planning to fight as soon as they got to school. 
And so she gave me all the names. And so I did, I generated a text. We call them school safety facilitators, but they're also known as deans or school disciplinarians. And some of my counselors are school social workers. And I gave them a list. I said, hey, look, these are the, the kids from this group. Here's the kids from group B. We need to take these kids. When you get these, when you see these students, as soon as you see them, take students from this group into this room. And we're gonna take students from this group into a separate room. And I, I need a staff member in each one of these rooms supervising these students. And so when we got to school, you know, we put these students in separate rooms. And then we walked back and forth from the different rooms, just gathering the facts, you know, investigating, seeing what was going on. And then we let them know that we wanted to have a peaceful resolution to the conflict that they were having. And so we brought both rooms into the group and we explained that and we listened to both group sides and we let them know we have to discuss this in a respectful way. And then what we got down to, the main conflict was really, you know, two or three kids from this group and two or three kids from this group. And so we came up with an understanding that, look, this beef is squashed. We sent the, the, the um, add-ons to class. And then we kept those students where the major conflict was, and we did a mediation. And they were able to come up with a peaceful resolution. They heard each other's side of the story out. And like we said, we worked it out without violence ensuing. And so the reason that's really important is because, you know, nowadays, you know, back in the days when we grew up, you know, you have a fight after school and then both parties walk their separate ways. But nowadays, like with this gang and this street justice mentality, when one person have a conflict, the entire group gets involved. And now it escalates beyond just a fist fight to where it could be a stabbing or a shooting and then you end up losing life. And we explained this to the kids. We're like, we don't want that to happen to either one of you guys. We love both of you. So think about it. What if you were on one end where you, you know, got seriously hurt because of you couldn't work out a conflict and then what if you were on the other end where you were the one who seriously hurt somebody and now, you know, you have to suffer the consequences where you could possibly lose your freedom because you caused somebody's, you know, serious injury or death. We don't want that because we love you guys. We care about you. We want to see both of you be successful in school. And so we were able to talk it out, shook hands, and, you know, it's great because we were able to work out that conflict. And that's what restorative practices can do. And we have policies and procedures in place that promote that. And you could take the time and use the resources to work those issues out. We brought in our school resource officers. We brought in our school social workers and my safety facilitators. And we all just let kids know, hey, this is life. And these could be the consequences of your actions, or these can be the rewards of you making the correct decision. Don, one of the things, and, and there are many reasons I admire your work, but one of the things I admire about your work is that as you've grown as an education leader, and even through your dissertation work, you've you've been an ongoing learner who's connected to the the research to what you have found are effective practices for sustainable growth in schools and then you've applied it mm -hmm. in the settings that you've been in so this isn't just like um feel good procedures but neither is it just what research says you you do both you look up you're you're constantly learning okay what are the things that are working in schools that are high performing and then how am i going to implement them but not only that, but this is why you're doing this full-time now too. Now you help other schools learn how to do this too. Here's how it works. Here's the policies, the practices, and here are the, and, and let me role model for you, or let me come in and help coach you in this mm -hmm. work too. And, and I, I was going to wait a while to talk about this, but I just want to go there. You know, one of the things that I've been excited to do in my new work is promote the work of my friends. And so mm -hmm. you you are one of those people that I'm designating as a principal matters associate because I have a select group of leaders that I'm like, hey, 
this is a friend of mine who's either their content is so valuable or their presentations are so valuable or their PD is so valuable. You need to connect with them. And you're one of those people, Don Parker. And so I, uh, what, what would, what other is, is the leaders are listening to you talk and they're thinking about how the work you're doing may be a good fit with them or in their district or their community or, or someone they know, what, what can leaders expect from that kind of work that you do of coming in and helping educators grow and applying these lessons to their practice? Okay, 100%, because you're right, Will. All right, we got to talk the talk. We got to walk the walk. And I'm not going to share or promote something that I don't know for a fact that is effective. And so um, when they can expect me to come in and do PD, right, I like to build relationships first. I come in, build relationships because like I said, before you touch the brain, you have to first touch the heart. And so I believe in coming in, establishing it, uh, letting this, 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 I let my PD participants know, look, this is, my coach has always told me that playing sports is a contact sport and you have to get in there and mix it up, okay? And so in order to do that, you gotta be willing to be hands-on, have to be willing to engage. And I tell my participants, just like my coaches told me, hey, if you want to have an impact, you got to get in there and mix it up. If you just want to watch, just buy a ticket and sit in the stands. Okay, my professional development is very hands-on and very engaging. And so my coach has always told me, you know, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. So I tell my participants, I'm going to ask for a volunteer, but stay ready because I might just point you out and volunteer you to come up and share, like share what you guys discuss, share what you think about this. All right, how, how can you apply this concept that I'm teaching in the future? And so a lot of my PD is a lot of hands-on activities, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of group discussion, a lot of collaboration. And so as much as the group can learn from me, right, I don't disrespect the expertise that's in the room. And I don't disrespect teachers' experience being in the trenches working with students. So I always open it up so people can share their voice, share their experience, share their best practices, because one of the most effective opportunity gap recommendations is for teachers to observe and look at what other gap closing teachers are doing. And so if it's a, something that teachers are doing where they're helping their students grow academically and helping students stay on task, then what are they doing that we can take from them? And so of course, I share what I learned from the research, I share what I've done in the schools, but then I also use practical strategies that teachers can implement, you know, the second that PD is over to start seeing an instant, you know, return on investment and instant improvement for the approach that they take with their students. So that's what they can expect from me, from my uh, PD, is just real practical techniques, tools, and strategies that they can use to help their students grow. Don, thank you for that. I asked you before we started recording if I could get personal and you said yes. So I wanna, I wanna wrap up with, with Principal Matters listeners getting to know a little bit about what motivates you in life and in work. And recently your wife who produces documentaries did one on your daughter, Rhonda Renee. And so because I know you and know how special she is in your family, could you talk to listeners a little bit about how her story has been a driving force in your own leadership? 100%. Okay. So my youngest daughter, Rhonda Renee, uh, has severe uh, FOXP1 syndrome. And FOXP1 syndrome is the gene in your brain that controls the signal from your brain to your mouth for speech. But people with FOXP1 syndrome also have so many other um, developmental problems. 
So my, my daughter has a severe speech delay, a severe intellectual delay, and a, a severe physical delay. So what happened was, you know, when my wife was giving birth to Rhonda Renee, you know, Rhonda Renee just wasn't coming out as, as hard as my wife was pushing, you know, is, you know, as long as she was in labor, Rhonda Renee was just not coming out. And so uh, the doctor said, we have to have an emergency C-section. So they rushed my, my wife over to the operating room and they did the emergency C-section. And when they pulled my baby girl out, it's like her skin was like yellowish and greenish. And they said, we have to suck out the meconium. So the doctors were even panicking. I could see the fear on their face because my daughter wasn't breathing. She wasn't crying. We didn't hear anything. She just came out and just appeared to be limp. And so, Will, this was one of the scariest times in my life. Yeah. And I've been in some scary situations growing up in the south side of Chicago, you know, walking through different gang territories and seeing just a lot of terrible things happening that I witnessed, you know, as a youth. But I had never been more frightened than I was uh, during the birth, than I was during the birth of my second daughter. And so they whisked her over to the table. They took suction, they suctioned the macronium from her nose and from her mouth. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, we heard my daughter start to cry. And then we seen her take a breath and it was like relief. And so my daughter was in the ICU for two weeks and we wasn't able to take her home for two weeks after she was born. And then when we got her home, she just continued to cry, cry, cry. And we didn't know what was wrong with her. And we noticed that she wasn't meeting her milestones. Like she wasn't making like those baby cooing sounds that babies normally make. She wasn't crawling at, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months. All right. She didn't walk until she was over a year and a half. And we would take her back to the pediatrician. And we would say, hey, you know, we have a concern because she's not meeting her milestones. And they was like, well, let's give it a little bit more time because, you know, babies don't always, you know, meet the milestones, you know, as, as typical children do. And so we just continued to notice uh, that she wasn't developing. And so uh, we got uh, genetic testing done on our baby. They drew my blood. They drew my wife's blood and drew my daughter's blood. And that's when they found out she had the, the FOXP1 gene mutation. And so now we have to just continue to give my daughter what she needs in order to meet her potential. And, um, you know, it's very challenging as a parent raising a special needs daughter. And the story I, I even shared at the Oklahoma Schools Principals Association is how a renowned pastor came to our church. And he said, I'm praying for miracles. I'm praying for breakthroughs in your finances. I'm praying for breakthroughs in anybody who's struggling in their marriage. I'm praying for breakthroughs for people with health issues. So if you need a miracle, you know, come up to the come up to the altar, come up to the altar. So we brought my baby girl up to the altar and he prayed for it. And we were like, okay, this could be a miracle. We're looking for a change. We're looking for a change in her because we want to see her, you know, heal. And so we watched, we observed, but nothing happened. And so uh, like a year later, that same pastor came to our church as a guest speaker again. Same thing. If you want a miracle, come up to the altar. So we came up to the altar and he said, hey, Don, I saw you here the last time. How's your baby girl doing? I said, no offense, pastor, but your prayers didn't work. So she's still the same. <laughs> All right. And so, but, but I noticed about my daughter, she is the most loving, kind spirit. All right. When she walks into the room, she has the biggest and brightest smile. And she's so full of love. She just wants to hug everybody and embrace everybody and make people feel good. And then I had to question myself. And I had to ask myself, why am I asking for her to change? Why do I want to change this sweet baby girl 
because she is the sweetest, most compassionate baby girl I know. And she just gives me so much love and I feel her love. And so then I stopped praying for her to change and I asked God to change me. I said, Lord, please make me more empathetic. Please make me more patient. Please give me the strength and please give me the resources to give my daughter everything I can to help her reach her full potential. And I take that same passion for educators because we all want what's best for our children. And so educators have to understand that they hold the fate and the trajectory of students' lives in their hands. And so if we could just be more empathetic, more patient, and just pray for the strength and resources so that we can give our students to help them reach their full potential. The same thing I want for my daughters, I want the educators to want for all of their students as well. And so that's the passionate energy that I bring to my professional developments and to my, my attitude towards teachers and doing this work. Don Parker, be the driving force leading your school on the road to equity, the new book from Solution Tree Press. Man, that story touched my heart, brother. Um, and I know it did listeners too, because uh, the only thought I'll add to that, Don, is I'm just so glad that God gave your daughter the miracle of you and your wife as her parents. I appreciate but, that. Bill. Yeah. And one last thing is to educators. I know that we're asking for our students to change. And I know that we want our students to improve academically and social, socially and emotionally. But at the same time as educators, we have to look in the mirror and ask, what is it that we need to change about ourselves so we can continue to, to continue to help our students? Just like my daughter is going to get better over time. You know, our teachers have to believe that their students are going to improve over time as well. But in the meantime, we have to play, pray for the strength to do the job that we're commissioned to do. And so just like I ended that keynote speech and I told educators how my wife gave me a shirt. And on the back of the shirt, it says, God gives his toughest battles to his toughest soldiers. And our educators these days, I know that they're losing a lot of their zeal. And we know that teacher attrition is on the rise. But I want to tell my educators to hang in there because you will have the strength to do what you need. Because, you know, he will give you the strength to do this tough job that we have to do in educating our students. So instead of asking your students to change, just ask that you continue to you know, have a positive mindset and the strength to do this important work. Well, Don Parker, there's a reason I keep bringing you back to Principal Matters listeners. And the reason, one of the reasons why I keep just valuing this friendship is that you are the real deal. You have been in the battles and you aren't shying from the new ones and you are stepping in to places where people want solutions. And so thank you so much for all the work you're doing. How can Principal Matters listeners stay connected with you if they want to find out more about your work or invite you to their schools. Oh, wow. You know what? I love connecting with educators. I, you know, just like me and you, Will, people put us, you know, in contact with each other and we stay connected. So I really believe in relationships. And so people can reach out to me on Twitter at Dr. Don Parker um, one. That's my Twitter handle is at Dr. Don Parker one. My Facebook page is Dr. Don Parker. My Instagram page is Dr. Don Parker five. My website is drdonparker.com and my email is drdonparker at drdonparker.com. So if you can remember my name, then you can always get in touch with me because all of my social media and contact information is connected with my name. So go ahead, visit my website. That's probably the easiest way at drdonparker.com and just hit the contact me button and just leave a message for me and I'll get back to you within the first 24 or 48 hours. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm going to follow you right back 
because I really believe in, you know, establishing relationships and supporting one another in this work that we're doing in this field of education, which we were called to. Well, Dr. Don Parker, thank you so much for your friendship, for your leadership, for your new book, Be the Driving Force, Leading Your School on the Road to Equity. And listeners, if you want to get an advanced, well, if you want to pre-order that book, it's available right now, Solution Tree Press or Amazon. And um, uh, Dr. Don Parker, I can't wait to hold it in my hands. Until mm -hmm. next time, thanks for right, the work right. that you're doing. Right there, Will. Yeah. You cannot continue to introduce my book without sharing the news that you wrote the forward for my book, ah. Be the Driving Force. <laughs> so it matters. You're, you're so generous. Understand. I can't believe that you that you yeah. invited me to write the forward, Don. And so I'm just yeah. so grateful that I get to, when if you do order the book and you open it up, you're going to see a forward from me in there. And um, because I had an advanced copy and just loved it. So thank you, Don. And Will, you've given me some flowers. Let me give you some flowers as well. Guys, when I wrote this book, be the driving force, leading your school on a road to equity. And really the book is a playbook for principals and school leaders who want to promote and advance and sustain equity in their school district. And Will, I know how great of a school leader that you are. And so when I was thinking about who could I get to write the forward for my book, I couldn't think of a better person just knowing the experience that you have and the heart that you have to, you know, help other educators, help other school leaders. I know that's at the heart of what you do. And so I couldn't think of a better person to write the for because I respect you. I respect your accomplishments. I'm appreciative of you. And I know that if leaders are looking for someone to help them lead, to coach, to coach them and help them grow, that you are a trusted source and a trusted voice in education. And so that's why I just want to say thank you and express gratitude to you for writing forward in my book, because I know that you have so many resources and your wealth of knowledge as it relates to school leadership. Don, it always makes my heart so warm whenever we see each other in person or online. And it, you're always, the first thing you say is, there's my brother from another mother. My and, brother and from another I think, mother. I think listeners can know why we, why we enjoy each other so much. Even some, um, some back road Oklahoma chicken restaurants where we just some some good country music i mean don we've had some good times together you know what you know what i'm gonna tell you something man something that uh could be seen as a negative was actually a positive so you took me to this i guess icon of a restaurant while we were in oklahoma city and i don't think that the wait staff was expecting such a huge crowd and so we put in our order but time and time and time went by before they brought the food out to us and as hungry as we are you know, I wasn't focusing on the food not coming out. I was just knowing that because the food was taking longer to come out, that was just more time that I got to spend with you and other colleagues there, you know, who you had great relationship with. And I just enjoyed the time and that time was prolonged. And I just took advantage of that food not coming out to continue to build relationships with you and your other principal colleagues. So that was something that was could be viewed as a negative, was actually a positive because I got to spend more time with you. Well, Principal Matters listeners, you want to spend time with Don Parker. So reach out to Don at his website at drdonparker.com, or you can reach out to me directly if you want me to share my connections with Don with you. But you can find him on my website at episode 362. Until next time, Don, thank you so much. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you for doing what matters. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you, Will. 
You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Check out the services link on williamdparker.com to learn more about Leadership Academies, Mastermind Offerings, and Executive Coaching. If you're planning professional development for the year ahead, or you're looking for keynote presentations from any of my books, please email me at will at williamdparker.com. Thank you for learning together today. And thanks again for doing what matters.